Welcome back to another episode of the Testudo Times podcast with your host Sam Ostry alongside Ben Dixon. I'm back after a little week hiatus. Um, I was I was on the IR, but I'm back here with Ben. And we have a lot to get to um, in terms of Maryland and Purdue and Maryland's loss this past weekend and then previewing Maryland and Indiana. But first, Ben, how are you? Doing great, Sam. Happy you're back on the show this week and ready to roll here. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a lot to get into with Maryland's 31-29 to home loss against Purdue this past Saturday. It moves Maryland to 4-2. and They had a chance to uh, go 5-1 and for the first time um, in a long time since, I believe, since 2013 uh, would be their first 5-1 and start. But they blew a keen opportunity at home in front of a good crowd, a good atmosphere. Um, there's a lot to get to, but first let's go overarching takeaways from a loss to Purdue. Yeah, um, I think they the overarching one would be that they let an opportunity slip at home, and there were a lot of factors that went into that. Into that, but you know, Maryland was in a position to win this game. They they probably should have won this game. Uh, we'll, we'll get into you know the nooks and crannies of exactly what happened, um, but I think alongside that, you also have to recognize the uh, performance by the officials, and uh, maybe Mike Loxley wasn't as upset as fans wanted him to be after the game. Regardless, um, definitely still a frustrating and disappointing outcome for the Terps, which we'll obviously get into. But uh, what were you thinking here in terms of? Yeah, of course, of course, we'll get into the officials. We'd be remiss to not to not talk about that at least a little bit. But, you know, it's it's just disappointment is like the word that comes to mind because you, you have you almost beat Michigan. You have a lot of excitement, a lot of momentum because you almost beat Michigan, number four team in the country, a team you historically struggle against. You come in, you beat Michigan State. You're now sitting at four and one, even though it's a struggling Michigan State team. You still beat Michigan State. And that was the first time since 2016 Maryland had beat Michigan State. And then, you know, Purdue's not a bad team at all. Before the season, we went through the schedule breakdown. I had Maryland beating Purdue. Excuse me. I had Purdue beating Maryland. I switched back on that last week uh, because of what I've seen from this Purdue team. But it's they've had some close losses. All their games have been within five points, I believe. Um, or the last like five, four or five games have been within five points. But it's a good Purdue team, even though they have some difficult losses. This isn't losing to Indiana or Northwestern if they do in the next couple of weeks. It's a good Purdue team. But nevertheless, it's you have all this momentum to really make that statement and go to five and one for the first time in almost a decade and say, okay, like we're one of the best teams in this conference this year. We're going to compete for a very legitimate bowl. We have a chance to win nine, ten games, maybe. And then you just, you know, I, I can't say they laid an egg against Purdue. But they had so many opportunities. We'll talk about it. But three turnovers in the force for, in the third quarter forced by the defense, and you come away with zero points from that. That can't happen. Um, a ton of penalties. You know, we'll talk about the one at the very end of the game. But just disappointment when they had all that momentum coming in. A good crowd because the, finally the fans started respecting this team and saying this is a legitimate team. This is a fun team to root for. A good offense. Um, you know, just just a, a, something to get excited behind in Maryland football when they haven't had that in a long time. And they just they kind of blew it. You know, they, they they were the better team against Purdue. They were favored and they lost. Right. Uh, I think kind of looking back on, on Purdue in hindsight, this is a team that's probably really good and a team that might be in position to win the Big Ten West now, but also a team that's pretty relative compared to Maryland. And at home, it's a game you should have won. Uh, you talk about the fan support, Sam. Part of me, you know, worries a little bit losing to Purdue at home. Yes, that's a good team, but Purdue's not, you know, that brand name recognition type program. Uh, if you're 
you know, Maryland football, you got to hope that the support continues despite that loss. I'm kind of worried that it's not, but obviously that's, that's beyond the program's control and, and a future problem. But talking about this game, Sam, one of the things that you mentioned, three turnovers in the second half and not able to con- convert on any of them, it, it's really frustrating, I think, for a team that, you know, has had turnover problems in the past, and this year they're starting to, to figure it out. And so to get three turnovers and, and not turn those into, you know, at least 14 points and, and score touchdowns on two of those is disappointing because this offense has been the calling card of this team. It's what we expected. It's what Maryland fans expected to bring this team to, you know, the record they're at now. And we expected four and two, maybe in a little bit of a different way, but the record they're at now and, and higher hopes for this year, but it's really been the defense who's come up clutch in the second half time and time again, getting those three turnovers last week, the, the failure to capitalize on those as a Maryland offense, it, it hurt the team. I, I obviously the refs hurt, but I think Maryland lost this game themselves. You can't put it fully on the officials. Yeah, and let's talk about that third quarter because it was a 0-0 third quarter. Neither team scored a point. But the fact that Maryland couldn't win and take advantage of a great defensive third quarter was really a difference. I mean, they didn't deserve to win the game at that point, and they obviously still had opportunities later in the game, which we'll get to. But at that point, your defense forces three turnovers in the third quarter, and you can't even come away with a field goal. You can't come away with anything. Um, in that third quarter, and that's like that—that that was really a deciding factor. Where it's like, if you if you can't capitalize on your defense's turnovers, then you don't really deserve to win the game because the defense. You know, we'll talk about the defense, but it's it's a luxury when they when they give the ball back to the offense because this is not a defense that has been known to force turnovers in the past, and and they really have done a much better job in these last few games. But it's it's just disappointing where you have. When you have all that momentum coming into this game and you have you're, you're probably the better team and you have such a great chance to win in the game in that second half and you kind of just blow it. And this offense went completely stagnant. Um, you can put it on Talia a little bit. You can put it on the running game where they only they had 25 total attempts um, for an average of 2.9 yards to carry 72 total yards rushing. You know, the running game was pretty much non-effective. Um you can put it on Talia a little bit, but like, what was, what was, what do you see from the offense when they went so stagnant in the third quarter? Yeah. And look, Sam, it's not becoming, that wasn't the only time that happened. They got lucky against Michigan state a little bit because they dominated and they only won by 14 uh, talking a couple weeks ago, but the defense was dominant in that third quarter too. And, and they couldn't blow them out of the water. They only won by 14 points. You look at the same against Purdue. I think part of it, like you said, you can put it on, on Talia a little bit though, you know, he had that bad decision with the interception earlier in the game, but he wasn't exactly terrible, but he, he didn't, he, he was good. He didn't do anything special though on Saturday. I think a lot of it has to do with, with some of the choice play calling as well. Some of these screen passes, these bubble screens thrown it to maybe these wrong guys. Um, some, some choices of, of when to run the ball and when not to uh, don't want to go completely in on the play calling, but it, it felt like at points, you know, Enos and, and Loxley could have decided some, some better options down the stretch because the truth of the matter is you have to capitalize on getting three turnovers in the third quarter. You have to capitalize on at least one of them when you're playing a really good team in Purdue or just anyone in general. Um, and that's definitely a glaring kind of concern um, from that game as well. One of the reasons why I liked Maryland over Purdue, because wa- I think I've watched this Purdue team more than most other Big Ten teams for whatever reason this season. I thought this Purdue team was really poorly coached, especially down the stretch. I mean, they blew, like you talk about oh, yeah. these these losses that they've had. Um they blew some some great opportunities that they had. Look at Syracuse game. Purdue probably should have won that game. Penn State game. Purdue probably should have won that game. But it came back 
down to some poor coaching decisions late in the game and just poor clock management, everything in terms of the produced fourth quarter decisions, why they lost that game. So going in, I really thought Maryland had the coaching advantage, um, the schematic advantage. That's why I thought they were going to take advantage of it, but they really didn't. Yeah, and you talk about produced coaching. The only reason Maryland had the opportunity to even tie the game up at the end of the game was because Purdue decided to score on on third and goal. You take another knee and 40 more seconds run off the clock, and Maryland's getting the ball back with, let's say, 25 seconds instead of a minute 14 without timeouts. And obviously Maryland put forth a really methodical drive to end the game uh, last game and gave itself a chance to tie it with that two-point conversion, which it wouldn't have needed if not for that uh, missed extra point, which you know we'll talk about the refs in a little bit. But that was really mind-boggling by uh, by Purdue's coaching. Excuse me to you know try and score on that third down. If you take a knee there to end the game and it's fourth and goal and you just kick the field goal, yeah, the lead's not as big, but there's barely any time left, and Maryland would still need a touchdown to win the game. So yeah, I, I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but I think you make a good point about Purdue's coaching because I've, I've watched those games as well. The end of the game against Syracuse, pretty much that whole Penn State game in Week One, but um, yeah. yeah. Well, so let's talk about the quarterback play a little bit, because coming into this game, um, you know, without a doubt, C.J. Stroud is the number one player in the Big Ten for Ohio State. He's been phenomenal. He's proven that. But in all, almost every ranking you look up in the preseason, Aiden O'Connell was number number two ranked quarterback in the Big Ten, and Talia Tagovailoa was number three ranked quarterback in the Big Ten. So it was a really interesting matchup coming in. Um, just in terms of the quarterback play, which quarterback could get them over the hump. And they were really even. Um, I, I can't, like, you can't really say. In O'Connell came away with the win. His offense did a little more. So I think, like, you can kind of give him the edge a little bit. But they were both really even. Like, you can't really say one was so much better than the other. Um, Aiden O'Connell was 30 for 41, 360 yards, two touchdowns, and interception. Talia was 26 for 38, 315 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception as well. So I, I don't really look at at like Talia as he you know he was hard on himself he said it wasn't a very good performance by him I don't think I think he certainly could have played better and especially maybe that was the play calling a little bit but he could have played better especially in that third quarter but I don't look at him and think that he had a bad game at all nor do I look at Aiden O'Connell and say wow he was he's head and shoulders above uh better than Talia right I wasn't blown away by Aiden O'Connell there were a couple like really professional passes uh back corner of the end zone i think um and then there was one sideline throw that really had me um you know taking it back but it wasn't special you know he had the the interception um i think he fumbled the ball on on that strip sack as well but then you look at talia that interception that he threw was was really bad and and we talked about you know the choices that he's making and, and things of that nature he rushed the throw into double coverage when he threw that pick and he gave purdue really good field position that that's a little concerning, Sam. I mean, we talk about it every week. When you see Talia at his best, this guy is really one of the top three quarterbacks in the Big Ten and one of the top whatever quarterbacks in the country. You can't be making decisions like that. And yeah, but know, he's he, like thing is like you almost chalk it up that he is good for one of those. He's right. good for that at least once a game. Which which stinks. It's it's a concern because you know there were a lot of things that were the difference in that game, and we could nitpick every single one of them. But consistently, if you're if you're making throws into double coverage like we saw against Michigan or like we saw Saturday, it, it will hurt the Terps. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, you got to win the turnover margin. It's something that's really important to winning football games. And look, even with that interception, Maryland won the turnover mar- margin, but they, they couldn't capitalize on it. So they didn't, they didn't win the ball game. Um, let's talk about the defense a little bit. Actually, let's stick with offense and then we'll go to the defense. Um, let's talk about the receivers and tight ends. So we've talked about this a lot, but, you know, the receivers obviously coming into the season were ranked as 
one of the best receiving cores in the Big Ten, but also one of the best in the entire country. They have a ton of NFL talent. A lot of those guys will be playing on Sundays for years to come. Um, you know, you talk about Rakim Jarrett, Jacob Copeland, Deshaun Jones, Dante Dimas, who Coach Loxley said isn't 100% coming back from, a, from an ACL injury last year, but he, he's, he's still getting there and he's still playing meaningful snaps. Um, but they really haven't lived up to the, to the hype, you know, Corey Dietrichs is the Maryland's re- leading receiver, who's a tight end. Not a single receiver on the um, on the Maryland's roster ranks in the top ten in any statistical receiving category in the Big Ten. Um, you know, you just look at this receiving core, and it really hasn't been it hasn't been what what it was kind of advertised to be. And it's a little disappointing. I don't know if that's affecting Talia, but he has found weapons in the tight end room. C.J. Dupree, Corey Dietrichs, who I just talked about, who leads uh, Maryland's entire receiving core in yards he's been phenomenal he had a four reception 160 yards two touchdown game against purdue so like do you see that kind of some of that production helping coming from the tight end room but like what are your thoughts on the disappointment from the receivers a little bit yeah first we can't talk about Corey Dyches without that talking about that touchdown against purdue oh, yeah he's, he's a 15 yards that was one of the wildest things i've ever seen but yeah, it's it's a hundred percent disappointing. I, I don't think we're making a, a big enough storyline about it. Maybe we're overreacting because these guys are getting you know multiple receptions per game, most of them for the most part. But no, but no receivers in the top ten in the Big Ten. Like this was supposed to be one of the best receiving rooms in the entire country. What did twenty four seven Sports have him as as number three going into? I think the- so, yeah. And look, you have guys like. You know, Kim Jarrett, Jay Sean Jones, Jacob Copeland, all three of them have, have shown really nice flashes this year of being stars. Dante Demas, we talked about the injury. He had a nice catch against against Purdue for a big game. But it, it, I think it is a concern when you talked about this receiving room preseason. It's not like it's necessarily hurting the team, but it, which it isn't because, like I said, most of these guys are getting multiple receptions for games. But this is something that should be taking the team to the next level. And sometimes you notice they're not always getting that separation that that you'd want. Um, you know, you you just yeah, yeah. no, you're hundred percent right about they're you're hundred percent right, but they're not hurting the team at all. I just think it's when I say disappointment, I think it's just the production people expected more, just given the talent of these guys. And it is a good point that you know, like if each guy gets like two or three receptions a game, you know, that's still a lot of production from your receiving room, even if one guy's capable of getting ten catches for 120 plus yards in any given game. Right, and, and if if a tight end is leading this type of room. You know, we expected or maybe people wanted Maryland's offense to be elite, and it's been really good. And I think the difference between really good and elite have been the receivers not being elite. They've been pretty good, and they haven't hurt the team. They've obviously helped the team, but they haven't brought it to the next level, which you know we're waiting to see here. And another point about that is I think – Maryland's running game, you know, not not this last week against Purdue, but Maryland's running game in general has been better than than anticipated. I think certainly from the outside, maybe maybe inside that that building, they they expected the running game to be what it is, but I don't think people expected Roman Hemby and Antoine Littleton to be as productive as they've been halfway through the season. We are now we're halfway through the season, um, so I think that's kind of you know when you can rely on the run game more than the the passing game. That not more than the passing game, but complementary to the passing game that kind of helps it helps or not helps but hurts the receivers production um as well right and i think i think the terps are still searching for that perfect balance because both have been impactful 
but you got to find that play calling balance where you know run to open up the pass, pass to open up the run, which we've seen plenty of vice versa this year, but on a consistent basis. Where which goes back to our original point of the turnovers and not capitalizing on that, you can start to capitalize in in these special situations where your defense, who wasn't who's playing much better than people expected going to the preseason, ex- including people in that building, you know, can can offense can start to capitalize on that. Perfect segue. Let's talk about the defense. Um, and then we'll get into the officiating. But, you know, you talked about it in the open a little bit, but this defense has been phenomenal in second halves this season. Um, not so great in first halves, you know, coming out. And I think part of that is, you know, offenses are better in the, fir- in the first quarter and first half usually because those first 25, 30, 35 plays are scripted. So it's really hard to, they're way harder to defend against when you have all those plays scripted in the beginning. So that's part of it. Part of it is you can make more adjustments at halftime. Um, you know, they've talked about the defensive adjustments that Maryland's made coming out of the halftime break, which has really helped them. Brian Williams, the defensive coordinator for Maryland, deserves a lot of credit for that. But this defense in the second half has been really good. They gave up last week against Michigan State, zero points in the second half. This week, this week, they gave up 14 points in the second half against Purdue, but zero points in the third quarter against a good Purdue offense. You know, let's talk about the defense a little bit, but for, before you get into the defense, I mean, Jay Sean Barham, we, we have to talk about him because he has been an absolute beast and he's lived up to every bit of the hype that he was getting on the recruiting cycle. He's been phenomenal for Maryland so far. I mean, oh yeah, he's he's been, for all intents and purposes, maybe you could say Jacorian Bennett, but probably the most consistent player on the defense, at least in that front seven, the best one as well, pretty much makes you completely forget about the loss of, of Ruben Hippolyte, who really hasn't appeared in, in forever, and um, dealing with that ankle injury. Jay Sean Parham is a stud. Like, this kid's going to be playing on Sundays, and, and if you're Loxley or, and the Maryland program, you hope he doesn't leave like some of the other talented linebackers and, and edge guys you've had in the past. I mean, you got to do, like like they did with Rakim, you got to do everything you possibly can to keep this guy around. Right, you gotta you gotta get the nil bag out for well, him. That's gonna be a big part of it. Yeah, but um, I mean, this guy is is incredible. His ability to get to the quarterback, stops in the run game, tackles behind the line, just the guy just has a feel for the game as a true freshman, where he's a star in a power five defense. And you know, you know, you don't want to say he's the only difference because you know, there's obviously been some other freshmen contributing to this defense as well, and this, the cornerbacks have been you know solid, led by Jacorian Bennett, who had a pretty good game against Purdue as well. But, you know, Jay Sean Barham's adding a different element to this defense. And to have a star like that as a true freshman, what is he, 18, 19 years old, however old he is, first year playing college football, and he's been the best player on the defense, you can argue. So Yeah, it, and that's what's so it, remarkable it, about it is that is that he is a true freshman. You know, I mean, it's very rare where true freshmen come in and make this type of immediate impact. And, um, and he's playing a ton of snaps, too. This past weekend, he had four, excuse me, he had two sacks, forced fumble, fumble recovery, uh, five total tackles. It's probably his best game as a Terp against Purdue this past weekend. But, you know, just the physicality that he has, his body, his makeup, his athletic prowess, everything about him as a freshman is just incredibly remarkable. Um, but the defense in general, not just him, you know, the secondary, it's been the strong part of this defense all season. You know, they gave up 31 points against Purdue. But like I said, zero in the third quarter, three takeaways in that third quarter. The fact that they've been, been been able to generate turnovers has been huge for this defense that really is playing well and way better than people expected coming into the season. So this defense deserves a ton of praise. Right. It's it's kind of like, you know, used to worry about how many turnovers the, the Terps would get and if they'd get destroyed in the turnover battle against these good teams. 
I mean, they are like they're winning turnover battles. They got three turnovers, two fumbles, an interception off a really good quarterback last week. Like this is this is incredibly impressive what we're seeing from this Maryland defense. A, a big change of pace. And, you know, the, these interceptions and fumbles, they aren't just happening. They're happening in timely situations as well where they can really help the offense win games. And the defense can only control so much. But you have to really respect Brian Williams, his staff, the adjustments that he's made going into second halves and how this defense has really helped uh, Maryland win some football games or put them in position to win some football games. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So now let's break down um, the end of that game. We'll get into the officiating, um, just the end of this Purdue game here. Um, so obviously no points are scored in the third in the third quarter. It's a very close game. Loxley said they thought it was going to be a fourth quarter game. The line indicated it would be a fourth quarter game. I think everyone thought this would be a, a tightly contested game that would come down to the wire, which of course it did. Um, so uh, just based, let, let me just correct me if I'm wrong here about the chron- chronology of the events, but based off my memory here, uh, Maryland goes down and uh, it's tie ball game. Maryland goes down, takes the lead on a touchdown they miss they miss the extra point the extra point is blocked and this is the controversial play so there's a a penalty on the play but it's it's it was so obvious from everyone everyone's vantage point it was so obvious that the the Purdue's defenseman jumped offside but it wasn't called and the extra point was blocked, so it should have been done again because Purdue's, um, Purdue jumped off sides, but it wasn't. The extra points blocked. Maryland only has a six-point lead. Just first talk about the, the lack of the lack of the offsides call on the, when it was so obvious, so obvious. And for a little bit of context, this goes back, the officiating goes back two weeks now. Let's talk about two weeks ago at Michigan State. Such an obvious call where an interception, uh, Talia throws an interception down the middle of the field. It's so obviously dropped. Um, it touched, it hits the ground, but it's not by Michigan's defender. It's not an interception, but it's not reviewed. So it's called an interception. In a one-score game, you never know how that can alter the, the outcome of a ball game. Last week against Michigan State, Maryland's um, only up. Maryland has a lead, but it's right before halftime. They're on defense. They get a huge interception for a touchdown, a pick six, to go up to halftime by at least two scores, I believe but it's called back on a ridiculous, one of the most absurd calls I've ever seen in my entire life, on a ridiculous uh, personal foul call after the interception was already made, away from the play, not, not away from the play, but it really had no impact on the play, just a horrendous call um, that could have, again, changed the momentum and outcome of the game. Maryland still won handily, and now you have this. So three straight weeks now, uh, Maryland's gotten, gotten fleeced by the refs. Yeah, uh, three straight weeks. Uh, let's talk about that offsides play. Not only did they call or they not call the offsides. Look, it was so obvious. I mean, the guy on the left, you, you can argue he should have. <laughs> the guy who was protecting for Maryland, he didn't even attempt to block the guy. I, I think he thought he was offsides. Um, but they called a penalty on Maryland on that play and, and a legal forward pass. And once we saw the flag in the press box, it was like, oh, okay, they called like a late offsides, like the refs just missed it. A legal forward pass on Maryland. I think everyone was perplexed. Just a really, really strange sequence of, of events there that, you know, hurt the Terps. It was the difference in the game for all intents and purposes. And, you know, it made Maryland go for two at the end of the game, which which I guess we can talk about now, where they were down eight points, basically drove down the entire field in a minute eight, minute 14, whatever it was, with no timeouts. It was one of the most methodical college football drives I've seen, especially for Maryland. They go for two. They get it. 
you know, Rakim Jarrett, and they and they call an ineligible man downfield, which you can argue happens on every play on the other side of the field. Didn't have anything to do with the play, and it was it was one of, it was a late call. I mean, the stadium, the place was rocking after that happened. Everyone in the press box was like, "Oh, like okay, like we're going overtime. Like gotta gotta work on story A, story B, whatever." And you know, ten seconds later, they drop the flag that's ineligible receiver downfield, and that kind of ends everything as well. And that two point conversion wouldn't have even happened if it wasn't for which, the yeah, which, by the way, ineligible receiver down the field, um, ridiculous call on a two point conversion. Yep. but it happens all the time on a ton of passing plays, and it's rarely a call that you see. But to have it on a two point conversion, you're on the two yard line, ineligible man down the field. Just a, an absurd call, like literally like a makeup call, or like a call like you're out to get a certain player or a team. Like literally, it was it was absurd to even see that call on the field. Loxley didn't get too much into it after the game, but he made a little comment like, what a ridiculous call. Why are you calling that? Even if it may have been the right call, especially after you so obviously miss an offsides early. Yeah, this program needs to start getting some respect from the Big Ten because we are not seeing it. Loxley has said that maybe one day we'll get that respect. Uh, quote unquote uh, from him, but it, it, it's really bad. It's three weeks in a row. They're getting jipped by the conference. Um, and y- you can't tell me maybe if another team's in that position. And even if you look back to that first play where this, you know, theory started where Togavella throws the interception at Michigan clearly hits the ground. They don't review it. You can't tell me if, if CJ Stroud, throws an interception, they don't even look at the play. Um, it's... Yeah, and, and it should be noted that it is partly on um, Loxley and his staff. You know, he said that, after the game, he said that he was told that they thought it was an interception. It stood. He probably could have taken a timeout and maybe something else would have happened. So that is partly on him. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, week by week, it just it just happens time and time again. Maybe we'll see a change this and, year. Maybe but, we'll... like the, yeah, but the thing is, and the thing is, these calls aren't like, like, yes, they're controversial, but that makes it seem like there's a, an opposing argument to the call. I mean, that Michigan State personal foul call was one of the worst calls of all time. In any sport, at any level, it was so atrocious. And then this block, that, and this missed offsides, it's not like you can't debate the other side of it. So it's barely even controversial. It's just the absolute wrong call for really the second straight week. And it's that really can, and this one did affect the outcome of the game. Because when you're trailing, when you're trailing by eight late in the game, when you're trailing by one, your play calling, it, it completely changed the rest of the fourth quarter. Your play calling switches, everything. So it, it's, it, I don't like it. There's nothing. You can do about it per se. You you control what you can control, but it's it's kind of embarrassing that that the league isn't giving Maryland the respect or or the proper calls that that, that they should be. It's terrible, you know. Th- this team, based off the talent and what we've seen halfway through the season, this is a team that could easily be five and one or, or six and zero oh, on to on track for a special year. And you know, you you can't say the refs completely derailed it, but they've definitely played a part. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um. All right. Let's let's uh get away from this game a little bit. Let's just talk about. We're halfway through the Maryland season. Uh, six games down, six to go. Maryland's four and two. Probably about what we expected. Um, through six games in terms of the record, I think this team has been way more impressive than people expected. And the record doesn't necessarily indicate that. But like you said, this could easily be a five and one, maybe even a six and zero team. Um. So I think this team has been way more um, impressive. So let's reset expectations a little bit, especially as you go through the Big Ten. And maybe it's not as as uh, dominant as we thought. Where do we see this team finishing up? Let's just go through schedule real quick. Um, this coming weekend, they have on the they're on the road in Indiana next week at home against Northwestern. Bye week on the road, then on the road against Wisconsin, on the road against Penn State, 
Ohio State at home, Rutgers at home. How do you see these next games, uh, next six games shaking up? Yeah, if you don't win at least three of them, there's a problem. Um, at at this point of the program and, and what we've seen this year and what we've heard from the program and, and, and everything around it, what we've seen on the field, you got to beat Indiana and you have to beat Northwestern. Those are two can't-lose games. If you lose one of those games, that you know your bowl jeopardy, your bowl eligibility is not only in the air. You might be heading for a six and six season, you know, because you got to hope you beat Rockers at home as well. But if you lose one of those games, something's wrong. You have no business losing to those teams that you are significantly better than. And this is kind of the separation point between Maryland of this year and Maryland in the past. To prove you're a good team, you have to beat the teams you're supposed to beat. And, you know, you can say whatever you want about that Purdue game. Yes, Maryland was favored, but and there were, there were some questionable calls that went into that. But Maryland and Purdue, at, at the end of the day, are, are pretty even teams in my mind. Um, I think the analytics views them neck and neck as well. Maybe Purdue 21, Maryland 22, and ESPN S&P Plus. Um, and, but and, but like look at Michigan State, right? That was a, That's a brand-name program on a down year, a team that was preseason top 15. But by the time they came to College Park, Maryland was favored by a touchdown, which shows they were significantly better than Michigan State. And they showed that on the field, and they took care of business. That's exactly what you have to do to end the season here. You have to beat Indiana next week – or this Saturday, excuse me. You have to beat Northwestern the following week at homecoming. And then you have a week off. You face a Wisconsin team with an interim head coach, a Wisconsin team that I still think is really talented and didn't put it together for whatever reason. But that's a game you have to have belief that you're going to win at that point, no? Absolutely. And, and the thing, when you talk about the progress, um, you can talk about the progress from year to year. This team is significantly better than last year's team. I mean, on all phases close. of the – all phases of the ball. I don't. There's not a position group that isn't even like. Obviously, you have returners like the quarterback. He's taking the jump receivers, whatever. There's not a position group that isn't improved from last year to this year, and that needs to materialize in the win column. You can't go seven and five. You can't. I mean, at the very minimum, you can go seven and five, but that's only a one a one win improvement, really. If you're going six and six, that's embarrassing. But you have to show that on the field because the talent is significantly better than last year. And you return a ton of guys, obviously, 15 starters on both sides of the ball. That's why there was expectation around this around this program this year. But you expect at least a one to two to three win jump when you have that talent. And it needs to materialize in the win column. When, when you talk about their schedule, you're right. Maryland does need to beat the teams they're supposed to beat. And they really historically have um, in Loxley's era when they're, when they're significant favorites. They do. They definitely did it last year. So that's Indiana. That's Northwestern. That's Rutgers. Um, those need to be and absolutely should be three wins. That gets you to seven wins. Then you have Ohio State you've no shot against. Um, and then you have a Penn State and uh, uh, Wisconsin, which I think are two winnable games. I think both going to be close games. Certainly Wisconsin, who's in disarray as an interim coach. They're not really going to be competing for much at that point of the year. And you're a little um, more bullish on Penn State than I am, but I think that's going to be a winnable game, even on the road in State College. So I expect this team to finish eight and four. And I think the the three wins that I said, Rutgers, Indiana, Northwestern, are certainly going to happen. And then I think they beat either Wisconsin or Penn State, most likely Wisconsin. But I think this team gets to eight and four, which in the beginning of the season, if that's what you're saying, that's what you're saying they should be. You're saying that's a great year. You took a jump. Um, you're going to go to a very solid bowl game. But that's that's the the jump that everyone expected them to take. Right. Um. I think 
one thing that I, I did for you or I differ from you on, excuse me, is Wisconsin just a little bit. Um, because I don't necessarily think they're playing for nothing. I think now that Jim Leonard's the interim coach, I mean, they kicked the crap out of Northwestern last week. I think Jim Leonard might be the guy that is the next head coach at Wisconsin. He's, you know, fully in the running. Uh, we don't know exactly what will happen there. I think it depends on what happens to end the season. I think those guys are, are going to be playing for him. And I still think this Wisconsin team is talented. They're going to be underdogs in Madison. I'd, I'd be shocked if they weren't. Um, so I think I think they beat – they win the next – Yeah, when I, when I say playing for nothing, I mean – when I say playing for nothing, and look, it's uh, right, relatively it's three I, I, games I away. I mean, they're not winning or coming close to winning. Really. I mean, they still could because such the Big Ten West is really not good at all. But I don't think they're winning the Big Ten West. And I think that'll be pretty clear by the time they get there. It's still going to be a good game. I mean, a good team. And and you're and you're right. You know, Jim Leonard is Wisconsin legend. He very well might get the job, and they probably will be underdogs. But I still think that's a very winnable game. Right, hundred percent. I, I think. I think Wisconsin's a winnable game. I, I don't think they win Penn State. I think it's a competable game, uh, similar to what you thought about uh, Michigan earlier this year, and I did not. But I think this team has showed it can compete with the big boys. Uh, they won't compete with Ohio State. I think Ohio State's just, you know. I don't think anyone has any question about Alex, that. Alex Kirshner had, had a great tweet about that. Um, I think it was this past Saturday. I, I, if you take out a couple games, Ohio State has been nearly perfect. Like since Ryan Day took over, this is this that program's a juggernaut. I mean, yeah, they have no they have no shot. I yeah. will say about this Penn State team is, you know, it's pretty it's pretty far away. It's I believe November twelfth. Um, when Penn State starts to lose, those losses start to pile up. And Penn State's next uh, four games before Maryland, or they had their bye already. So those next these next four games are Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio State, Indiana. You know, if those Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio State, that could be a one and two, maybe even an zero oh and three. And when Ohio State starts to derail, um, they derail quickly, and and that could bode well for Maryland, who will come in November twelfth. Yeah, we will see. I, I think I think they win b- uh, both games uh, before the bye. I think they'll end up losing to Wisconsin and Penn State competitively. Um, I think they lose. Look, I mean, look, you're, you're like, but before we even get after the bye, if they don't beat Northwestern Indiana, everything's out the window. Yeah, this is, this is an incredibly disappointing season, and the criticism will be fair. Yes, yes, 1000%. Um, I'm going with the final record prediction of uh, seven and five here, uh, which was my preseason recommendation. Uh, rec- excuse me, preseason prediction. Um, I would recommend going at least seven and five. I meant prediction. Um, so, but, so uh, if a week ago I told you that. One week later, you'd be saying after big off all there's a lot of momentum, a lot of hype after the Michigan State win. If I said one week later you'll be predicting Maryland go seven and five, you would have said no. People were saying nine. People were saying nine wins. People were saying ten wins. It's it really is interesting how the expectations from the outside are consistently shifting with this team week to week. Yeah, I don't know. I I thought I thought that Purdue game was was going to be the decider in the record. I I think I also wanted to see how Wisconsin played uh, in their first game under Leonard. But I think, look, even if you go seven and five, you win the bowl game, you're eight and five. That's your first eight win season since 2008, which would be, a, I think, a major step forward in my opinion. Absolutely. An eight win season would be remarkable. And a seven win season, even that's still an improvement. It's a step. It's one win more than last year, even though fans might have might have expected a little more than a one win jump. But still, you know, it's, 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 a, it's an improvement. Eight and four would be a terrific season, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm I'm gonna go seven and five with the bonus that that they'll win the bowl game, whoever they play. We'll go we'll go eight and five, which would be I think a very good season for the Terps. And I'll go eight and four. Um, before the season, I think we both had seven and five. I yeah. actually had Maryland um, beating, losing, be, losing to Purdue and beating Penn State before the season. 
obviously I didn't think that was going to happen last week, but they obviously lost to Purdue. I don't think they're going to beat Penn State now, but I do think it's still going to be competitive. Um, but yeah, I, I I have them finishing eight and four. I think your your preseason predictions right now are six for six. Yeah, I know you changed up, but I um I think you had them. Didn't you have them beating Michigan State and then lo- or and then losing to Purdue? I might have. I might have. I'll take it. I mean, if you're yeah, gonna give it to go. me, I'll take I'm it. We have to go back and run the we tape. We don't even have to go it. back. We'll give it to you. We'll give it to you. All right. Yeah. I, I for, completely forget if I had Michigan State or not because look, that was a Michigan State team was ranked in the top twenty-five. So that would have been a been a pretty bold call for me to say. But, top fifteen. I, I mean. It, it, don't want to go off on a tangent tangent here, but before Michigan State played against Wisconsin or Washington, excuse me, and they got their butts kicked, they were number eleven in the entire country. Really, they're not they're not even going to be a bowl team this year. So. Uh, no, I mean, they've lost four straight now, and uh, yeah. Um, all right, let's go to Indiana. We won't do too long of a preview with Indiana. Like we said, we expect Maryland to win. Um, um, pretty handily, it would be a very shocking, disappointing. Uh, upset and loss for Maryland. Uh, Mar- Maryland's favored by 11 and a half points. They're the biggest they've been favored, favored against a big 10 opponent this season. The over-unders are 61 and a half. All of Maryland's over-unders have been right around 59, 60, 61 these past few weeks. Um, but, you know, this is not a very good Indiana team. They're three and three, one and two in the big 10. Their only big 10 win um, was against Illinois. It was the very first game of the season when they beat them 23 to 20. They're coming off a game against Michigan where they actually were more competitive than people thought, I, I believe, in, through the first half. But then Michigan kind of pulled away later in that game, of course, the better, more dominant team. But last year, you know, this is a, this is a program, Tom Allen, who, who's considered a very good coach. In 2020, they were 6-1 and one in the Big Ten. Um, this was a phenomenal uh, program that people thought were just soaring up. Last year, 2021, a ton of roster change. They were 0-9 in the Big Ten, 2-10 and overall. Um, just a really embarrassing year last year. They're 3-3 and so far this season, like I said, 1-2 in the Big Ten. But not a very good Indiana team. Um, like he, Their defense is really bad. They're, they're the worst defense um, ranking-wise in terms of points they allow in the entire Big Ten, which bodes well for Talia and this offense to kind of find the rhythm again. Um they do. The, uh, Indiana's offense does play with a lot of tempo. Uh, they get off a lot of plays. They're, they're better, but their their defense is just so bad that it, it, it's kind of difficult for the offense to keep up with, with opponents. Um, Connor Bazelak uh, is the redshirt junior quarterback. Um, he's transferred from Missouri, and this is his first year with Indiana. He's been good. Um, any any other notes on Indiana? Yeah, I think just a, a, a transfer-laden team, like you said, Connor Bazelik, uh their leading rusher, Sean Shivers, is an Auburn guy, uh, transferred from there. And, yeah, their their defense, worst scoring defense in the Big Ten. Um, I think the one decent thing about their defense is, is pass rush-wise, um, they're tied for the fourth most sacks in the Big Ten. So that could be something to watch there. Maryland's offensive line has been really good. Uh, not, not the best game against Purdue, but, you know, throughout this season – the O-line's been pretty consistent. Yeah, especially against some good pass rushes, too. You know, yeah. the, when you talk about the most improved position group and, and the group that's kind of lived up to the most expectation that was set with that, um, of them before the season, I think it's certainly the offensive line. Yeah, and then look, you, you just have to look at that game against Michigan where they, they gave you know Talia time to make plays against a, a really good pass rush. So, um, yeah, the Indiana pass rush could pose a test, but, I mean, that's that's the one thing that stands out for them defensively, and I'd say just offense – 
you know, we've had a few tough games, but transfer laden, uh, Baselick and yeah. Bruce and, and, and that's probably why they've been transfer in the past couple of years. And that's a big reason why they struggle is because you can't just bring in a bunch of transfers and try to compete in the Big Ten. Um, it is on the road. And I will say Indiana, not that I've ever been, but Bloomington always shows up for those football games, even when they have a really struggling team. Right. Excuse me. So I, I think it's going to be a great atmosphere. Maryland played at the big house in Michigan. So I don't think they can be phased at all, even though Ty Felton might have been a little phased on that opening kickoff, which could have contributed to him fumbling it. But I don't think it's the atmosphere is really going to affect the game um, too much, even though it should be a go one in Bloomington. Um, well, is there anything you're looking for in particular? It's kind of to, to regain its rhythm from this team. Yeah, I think I think you need a turnover list from Tulia Tugavailoa. Um, you know, this Indiana defense is not good, as we mentioned. Uh, the pass rush is, is obviously something to watch for, as we mentioned as well. But this is a team you're much better than them, a team you're favored by a significant amount of points, nearly two touchdowns. You, you want to see a game from Talia. You can say this every game, but especially a team, again, that's inferior to you. Um, I'd like to see him no interceptions, no fumbles, just a really clean vintage tug of LO game. And I think it'll be smooth sailing for the Terps if that happens. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I definitely agree. One thing I want to see the the run, I think it's an all around game for the offense to kind of find its rhythm again. Like you said, Talia, no interceptions. I want to see the run game kind of be established and established early again. See, get Roman Hemi going, get Antoine Littleton, maybe some short yardage situations where he's kind of struggled in the past few weeks. Um, and, you know, if Maryland's defense is going to force turnovers, this offense needs to capitalize on them. Um, they just they just have to, and it's going to be crucial against some good teams moving forward. So those are some things I'm looking for. Um, yeah, I mean, th- that's really it on this Indiana team. Again, Maryland's favored by 11 and a half. It would be a very disappointing and, and probably shocking loss to a lot of to a lot of Maryland fans if they couldn't get it done. Um, but it's on the road. You want you want to give a prediction? Prediction, yes. Um, I think both of us gave some solid keys there. Um, Maryland's minus, what, 11.5, over 61.5. I might go with the rare Maryland under here. Um, I think the defense comes through. Uh, We've seen the Terps kind of – or maybe not the rare under. I don't know the over-under stats this year, but at least prediction-wise from us, I think we we shatter the over almost every game. Um, Yeah, Maryland. I don't think Maryland's – last week it was 60.5 and and the final was, what, 60? What was it? Thirty? Yeah. Yeah. So I got. I, I mean, I guess it's where you got the line because that line was moving a little bit. But yeah. Yeah, that was sharp. I'm gonna go. I think Maryland. I think Maryland destroys Indiana, even though it's on the road. I think this is a statement game. Bounce back. Like I said, you got to beat the teams that you are definitively better than. What, regardless of if it's played in front of a hundred thousand or one. Um, I'm gonna go Maryland. Twenty. No, I'm gonna go Maryland thirty-one. Um, Indiana fourteen. I think Maryland will win by 17 points, and I guess that would hit the under as well. Yeah, I'm going to go on the under as well. Um, I think the final is going to be 35 to 22. I think it's kind of like the Michigan State game where Maryland just, you know, th- th- when you're watching that game, there was no question or there was really no doubt that Maryland had was the better team, had control the entire game on both sides of the ball. And there was no question they were really going to win from start to finish. I think it's going to be a similar feel with this Indiana game. Um, I think Maryland could go up could go up big by halftime and maybe Indiana comes back a little bit, but my final is Maryland 35, Indiana 22. I like it. I like it. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think anything else from the, from this matchup. Um, I think we kind of ran through everything and Maryland's expected to beat Indiana. Talked about the state of the team, resetting expectations. 
Yeah, it'd be a really disappointing loss. Uh, or, or even if it was competitive until the end, it'd be a little bit disappointing. Yeah, I mean, we should note that Maryland's buy is later than usual. Um, it's it's one of the later buys in the Big Ten this year. Yep. Last year, last year Maryland's buy was right at halfway point, so Maryland would be going on buy this week through six games. Maryland's going to have played eight games when it goes on by and only have four left on the back end. Um, Maryland's been relatively healthy. I, th- I know we were talking about that the other day off air, Ben, but Maryland's been relatively healthy this year. So I don't think they've necessarily, they don't need the buy right now, but you know, they, they may get, get there and they'll be like, wow, we, we need this buy right now. But they've other than Ruben Hippolyte and some, some nagging injuries here and there, nothing, nothing catastrophic, knock on wood right now. They've been relatively healthy. Yeah, nothing, nothing major at all. Got to get Ruben back at some point. Ankles been bothering him. I mean, that was the initial injury. I think he was dressed last week. I don't even think he played, um, but that was that was interesting as well. Um, you talk about that bye week. I uh, just wanted to mention real quick before we uh, we sign off here. Uh, basketball season's coming. Crossover season is on. Basketball is season so, is coming. Uh, what is it? Less than four weeks until tip off. I think what is today? Wednesday. Twenty six days. It should be till opening night. So, you know, we'll we'll be starting yeah. having these uh, crossover pods, a little bit of football, a little bit of college hoops. Yes. And, yes. Yeah, hopefully we don't know when when basketball media day is yet, but we're thinking during the, the bye week. Um, that's that's our prediction. So we'll, we'll obviously have you covered on that as well. Yeah, definitely. Yes, we will start talking about basketball very, very, very soon. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll leave it at that for now. Big Ten media day was yesterday. Um, you know, some some nice snippets here and there. We'll have you covered Shortest on all that. Conference I've ever seen from Kevin. Yeah, uh, three ten second opening statement and three questions. That that was the entirety of the press conference. But you know, it is what it is. That's Big Ten media. That's what you travel all the way to Minnesota for. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, we'll well, yeah, we'll definitely have everyone covered on basketball. Probably maybe starting even next week. Definitely the week after. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week to break down. Indiana, Maryland, and then preview Northwestern the following week and and talk some hoops. Thanks for listening, everyone.